Hello, and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today, we'll be speaking with Mikey J. from Orlando, Florida, a founding member of our mostly agnostic group of drunks. Oh, my God. Mikey will share his story, talk about some of the challenges his group faced early on, how the group has incorporated online meetings into their schedule, the power of the internet as a recovery tool, and much more. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, hello, Mikey. Uh, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Good, good. Glad to be here. Nice to have you. I always enjoy these conversations, and I'm looking forward to talking to you. Um, I always kind of like to start these conversations getting to know the person a little bit. Um, would you like to just kind of start telling us about your story and how you got into AA and that type of thing? Sure. Um, I uh, My first uh, drug of choice was spinning in front of the yard. I would spin around and around and around and around as a kid, and then i fall down and the whole world would just go blah, 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 blah. and uh i love that i would do that all day long just spin and spin and spin because it it was that feeling that i liked and i i kind of chased that the rest of my life um i i drank early uh but i didn't really know it was getting drunk i was very i had undiagnosed schizoaffective disorder and bipolar mm. and back then it was just you know a weird kid but uh I grew up very horribly uh, alone and feeling like I was uh, from another planet and one day the aliens were going to come and get me and take me home. Uh, I got, uh, you know, institutionalized twice before I ever made it into AA. I was in two psych hospitals, once at 15 and once at 17. And uh, my first meeting was at... uh, at the psych hospital, and they, I kept coming home drunk on from pass, and uh, I went to AA because they had cookies and coffee, and we couldn't have that on the unit, so I went over there, and uh, I wasn't hit by uh, the things normal, normally people say because I was really young, uh, and I, I immediately felt like I didn't belong. Uh, people were talking about their first or second DUIs, and I didn't even have a driver's license yet. But uh, they talked about, all of a sudden they talked about loneliness and feeling as if you could be completely alone in a crowded room. And I immediately identified with that. Um, I didn't get it right away. I, I stayed sober for, you know, a year or not even a year, maybe a couple months and, and relapsed and continued to relapse until uh, this last time uh, in and out. And uh I never, I never got hit with the God thing. I kind of, uh, which a lot of people have problems with right off the bat, but I was in so young and the group that I happened to go to, the groups I happened to go to really didn't emphasize that. And I kind of ignored it. I've never really believed that. So I kind of went, okay, whatever. And I, I didn't feel any stigma or anything like that right at the beginning. But when I, uh, basically, uh, I got so bad on not just, uh, alcohol, but drugs and sex mm-hmm. and every kind of thing you can think of. And I was in my, I don't know, sixth, fifth, sixth institution. I had been Baker acted twice in a week for two different mm-hmm. things. And, uh, the, uh, coming, coming, uh, uh, okay. There's this part in the book that says, uh, he heard the gates of hell slam with yeah. a clang. 
Well, my psychiatrist on my second, uh, the second uh, Baker Act, in the institution, he was going to let me go. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a witness in there, and they said, I said, where am I going? I, I figured I was going to a, a treatment center or something. He says, we're letting you go. You're, you're uh, a sociopath, and there's no recovery for you. And, you know, we're not sending you to someone. Anyway, it was, it was uh-huh. horrifically terrible. Um, but my life had been so out of control, I never, I never thought stopping drinking would be an answer. It was just, that was just a no-brainer. Of course you drink. Uh, of course you, you, if you had my life, you would drink too. It was the only thing that kept me together, uh, or so I thought. And mm-hmm. when I quit drinking, when I, I had that moment of clarity, and that, there's a whole story behind that, but I had that moment of clarity where it was like, uh, I'm doing this to myself and and maybe drinking has a part of it, but I had, I became willing to do absolutely anything, uh, and and you know recovery has been an amazing journey. Uh, I had all the I've got about fourteen years now, and I've had all of the ups and downs, and I went through the desert mm-hmm. years and uh, all that kind of stuff. And at about nine years sober, I. Uh, I went to a meeting and I said that I was going to kill myself and I had bought an exit bag off the internet and was mm-hmm. seriously considering it. Um, and that's where I really had to take a look at what AA could do for me. I had, I had been sober and I kind of worked the steps as a homework assignment, you know, from your sponsor, you run through the steps and then all of a sudden it's all service and, and, you know, pray every day or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, when I had that nine years, I had to really look at what the steps were. And because I didn't believe in God, I had to find out what it was that people did. What was it that, that kept them sober? I knew there was no, you know, magic, you're sober. Right. So uh, I started looking at what the steps meant and turning my will and my life over to my greater power is the other people that are in the room but also Google and and the law and lawyers and all of that yeah. stuff is a power greater than me. And I started listening and taking suggestions again, which is what got me through in the beginning. And uh, I think that the whole theme of my time in recovery, if I had to pass it on to anybody, would be I had to do things not only that I didn't want to do. My sponsor would make me do things I didn't want to do as practice. Mm-hmm. Whatever I said, if I said I didn't want to do it, that's what he would focus on because he, he goes, you need practice doing shit you don't – oops, sorry – doing stuff that's you okay. don't want to do uh, because you're going to have to do a lot of stuff in recovery that you absolutely don't want to do, and you have to practice doing it. And the other thing was uh, I had to do things I knew would not work. I knew they wouldn't work, but I did them anyway because I was told to do them. Even, I, I mean, I, I really put a lot into things that I knew had never worked before. I didn't think they were going to work now, but I did them anyway. And that really changed my recovery. Uh, and at that nine-year point, I got that willingness again, and I started to look at meditation. And mm-hmm. uh, that has been the answer to a whole new life. In fact, the day I admitted there is no God was the day I had my spiritual awakening. It really was. Yeah. Uh, That's how I feel too. Really, really. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it makes the program practical. It's not a guessing game. Am I doing the right thing? What is the right thing? I started doing the right thing, and mm-hmm. you know, accepting. I think that's what the turn it over 
means is that you just accept how it is at that moment. And yeah. and they say, you know, I'll let it up to God. And I say, well, I'll let it up to chance. Whatever happens, I'm going to deal with it sober. Yeah. So. Well, I just feel like, you know, when I accepted that I was an atheist, everything seemed to make more sense and was more beautiful and poetic. Yeah. Just 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 the explanation of the universe and how it started and understanding that it's all the wonderful people and Alcoholics Anonymous that made a difference in my life. It wasn't magic. It was it was people who cared about other people. Yeah, for for me it was uh cl- the sky and uh trees. All of a sudden they weren't just poof there. They actually yeah, right. grew out of nothing, and then you start thinking of everything and how amazing this place is, and and how much goes into uh, everything. It was just it was an eye opener, and that's when you know, like I said, my recovery changed. My that psychic yeah. change they talk about. That's when it happened. You know, you 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 hit me right uh, right very deeply in in my soul here when you started talking about your story. I have a brother who was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder some time ago, and he um, he's not doing well. He's he's not an alcoholic, and he once told me that he wished he had something like AA to go to, but I haven't spoken to him for a few years. He's been off his medication, and I, as far as I know, he's 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 lost in psychosis, and he lives down in Tampa. Uh, one of these days, I need to take a trip down there to see if we can reach him. But you mentioned something. You said you were you were. The Baker Act. Is that the act where your family puts you in like a 24-hour hold or something like that? Well, actually, a Baker Act is kind of a – it's a Florida thing. It's only used in Florida, but kind of everybody says Baker Act. It's a, an involuntary admission to a, uh, a, a hospital where they uh, evaluate you for up to 72 hours. I thought it was yep. a guaranteed 72, but it's not because they kicked me out twice at 24 wow. and, and 48. So. Uh, but it, they look and they what they're trying to do is to uh, make sure you're not lethal. Now, you can self-Baker right. Act. Uh, you can self-admit. But a Baker Act uh, is when the police basically feel that you're a threat to yourself or another person. Right. And, boy, it's so difficult. Uh, we, we, we had my brother hospitalized when he was living in Wisconsin. Uh, almost impossible to do. I mean, it wasn't until he jumped in the Mississippi River that we were able to get him into a hospital. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just the way it is. But anyway, I didn't, didn't want to digress, but I could I could relate to that. Um, also, I, I suffer from, you know, mental illness issues uh, along with my recovery, and I, I get treated for that as well. So um, did, did you do your recovery? Did you start off in, in Orlando? Is that where you've always been in AA? No, no. Uh, um, my first one was in Tampa, actually. And I'll go with mm-hmm. you if you ever want to uh, okay. meet your friend or your brother. But uh, I started in Tampa. Then I went to Connecticut and New York. And I went to rehab in New York, uh, Arms Acres, if anybody is out there, yo, yo <laughs> us. Uh, and I went to High Watch Farm, which is a, um, has a little AA history. And then came back to Fort Lauderdale to be in a halfway house for three years. And then I relapsed. And then I moved to Orlando. Okay. And you mentioned that. When you were first starting out in AA, you really didn't have a problem with the God stuff. Uh, it wasn't really hitting you that hard. I don't think it was really hitting me that hard when I was first starting out either. Well, I think I think I had come to terms with not believing in God very, very early. I'm a gaytheist. So <laughs> I've got the gay thing going, and I remember thinking – I hear, heard my parents were very, very Catholic, um, and uh-huh. we were very involved in the church, uh, which freaks some of my sponsees out when I can – like 
tell him all about the the oh that's the um adoration sacrifice and that's the stations of the cross they're like how do you know that um but i remember them saying that uh god you know said that gay was wrong or something like that and i and i was young i was like maybe 12 and i remember thinking well i didn't i'm not attracted to women i i'm i didn't choose this and if god is perfect and the perfect word says that i'm flawed then and he can't be flawed then that doesn't make sense uh i remember my dad told me uh i my brother got a, a letter from the tooth fairy and i go oh my god dad that's your handwriting and he pulled <laughs> and he's like hey 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 uh the tooth fairy easter bunny santa claus that's your mom and i uh you know but god is real and i looked at him like i was waiting for the punchline i i, I and it never came i was like you can't be serious don't you see so I had that coming into AA, and I just ignored it as a child. They'd bring me to church, and I'd you know think about whatever, and uh, they'd say pray, and I'd get down and talk to my bedspread. I, I you know I I didn't ever believe that. So yeah. coming into AA, I just kind of took it with okay, this is what it is, but I got to be here. So that's so interesting. I almost envy the the people that came in knowing they were an atheist when they came in. I didn't. I, I don't. I don't think I knew what I was or cared what I was. I grew up in a family where there was no religion. We didn't go to church. I was ignorant of religion, and I kind of, you know, I, I didn't really buy into the God stuff. But I figured, okay, I guess the way I saw it was, I'm not capable of being a, connected to God. I, I didn't. I didn't know what it was all. I didn't, know, I didn't even know how to do it. But I kind of did what you did. I did the things that they told me to do, and I just figured to myself, I just reasoned to myself, okay, there must be some psychological benefit to praying and all of this kind of stuff. And I then, But then after a while, I just kind of learned the language of AA, and I started talking the talk. Right. And whether or not I believed it, I don't know. I don't even know. But eventually I got to the point where – you know, it was just a couple of years ago, I realized, you know, I don't believe that any of that supernatural stuff. And um, that was my spiritual awakening as well. well that's very <laughs> so. much my story. And, and uh, you know, I think I was fortunate not coming in as an at, at not believing in God uh, mm-hmm. because um, I, I came to terms with absolutely making it a fact. I don't believe, uh, like I said, late in recovery, basically, because I started looking at Reddit and the atheism mm-hmm. thing and, and it made sense. But before that, it, it wasn't an issue, so I didn't make it an issue. But now I will sit in meetings, and I'll hear some of the crap that comes out of uh, our literature, and it's it's offensive. And I've heard yeah. that stuff. I mean, I can quote the book. I can say how it works from beginning to end from memory. Yeah. I, I've heard it all, <clears throat> yeah. and it never bothered me until they started saying that their way was the only way. And that if you yep. just come around, you'll believe. And I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't a. I'll come around. It's a. I came around, and I, you know, they uh, people say, how can you be an, an uh, atheist? I hate that label, but how can you not uh-huh. believe in God? And I say, well, it's kind of like contempt prior to investigation, isn't it? And that always shuts them up because that's right, right. out of the book, you know. I'm like, so how did you get? <laughs> so how did you get involved with um, Omegod? How did you how did you get involved in Agnostic AA? Um, I I got sick of sitting in meetings, so I started another meeting. Um, okay, did you, you started the Omegod group? Did yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Uh, um, actually, it was called Group of Drunks because that's what they always say uh, to people. If you don't believe in God, just believe it's an acronym for Group of Drunks right. or Good Orderly Direction. So our our meeting was originally called Group of Drunks, but the inner group wouldn't list it as an agnostic meeting. You know how they have the key, like this is a closed meeting, this is an open meeting. 
This mm-hmm. is a GLBT meeting. They would, Ours won't list it that way either. Well, they wouldn't put it in our, our thing. So I changed the name to our mostly agnostic group of drunks because mm-hmm. that would get the word agnostic in there. And I'll yep. tell you, that's the only way that they find us is they look through the book, uh, the yep. meeting list, and they see the word agnostic. Um, and they, they that's how they get to us. So it was important for us to designate it as an agnostic meeting. And it's yep. funny, for the first, I don't know, year, they listed us in the meeting list as group of drunks, mostly agnostic. And we, really? we had to constantly uh, change it because uh, we, we, it was bad when it was G-O-D because we're like, hey, you're going to God tonight? That didn't All work right. for us, so it, now it's, oh my God. So do you have people that intentionally seek out your group because it's agnostic? Oh, yeah. In fact, yeah, we do too. that's one of the, I hate to use the word blessing, but it's one of the most amazing things about being involved in an agnostic group is you get people that recover that would never walk into an AA meeting. Never. Yep. They they Absolutely. they know it, it's God and, and everything. And we've got people that will uh, testify they will say that uh, being an agnostic group was the start of their recovery. Now, they go to other meetings because you mm-hmm. kind of train them how their lingo is and you get them used to right. it. And we have something uh, that we do sometimes. It's a recovery expansion project where as a group, we'll go to another uh, group somewhere. We'll go to another really? meeting all together so that we don't feel, you know, and then we can talk about it or whatever. Uh, and it... it Wow. Because one meeting isn't going to do it. You can't stay in one meeting. And that's for everyone in AA. If you stay stagnant in your meeting, uh-huh. then it's a social club. Uh, uh, you know, There's a home group, but then you've got to right. kind of venture out and get other meetings because you get amazing stuff from people that if you know them, you'll know they're full of shit. But if you, if you listen to them and you hear the message rather than look at who's telling the message, mm-hmm. it opens up recovery. So we, we take our... As a group, we go out and we discover new meetings, and some of those wow. meetings become their, uh, you know, regular go-to meetings. So it's a it's, that's great. Yeah, it's a cool thing. That's a really good idea. You know, we have we have two types of people that come to our meeting. We have the people who would never go to AA until they found out there was a secular AA uh, meeting, mm-hmm. and we've got a lot of these people, and they're younger. And they have never, ever been to a traditional meeting. Ugh. I know. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, we, may, we should probably take them to a traditional well, meeting. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're traveling and you need yeah. a meeting, if you go in without knowing what a regular meeting is like, you could be, like, just blindsided with – and, you know, there's something to say about keeping the agnostic part private. Uh, yeah. Unless – for me, this is totally for me uh, – you know, I was very outspoken about it, and then I got a lot of people that would kind of drift away. Mm-hmm. And now I kind of have changed groups a little because I go to other meetings all the time, and it's really they know, but it's not. It doesn't become an issue. And if it does become right. an issue in a meeting, I call my sponsor. I don't have to blah it out to the group. Okay, well that's that's pretty smart. I, you know, um, gosh. I was in the program for 25 years, uh, atheist for maybe just uh, the last couple of those years. And um, I never I had a really hard time coming out to my group. I felt like I needed to somehow do that. Um, I never I never did until just recently when I when I finally told them why I wasn't there for the last year. But but anyway, um, I I I got increasingly uncomfortable there. And that's when I helped start off this this agnostic group. But I don't go to regular meetings anymore because I find I'm. 
I'm just having a hard time there. And, and maybe I, that's something I need to work on. And maybe if I do start going to some of those groups, you know, it'll, it'll become easier. I do think I agree with you. I think it's important to um, be part of the broader AA community. Well, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in traditional AA that, I mean, we're all in the same club. We just have one different conception of what our power that's greater than ourself is. Uh, and yeah. when you all come down to it, because we know there is no God, then they're doing the exact same thing. They just, I mean, there is no magic person that's working in their life. They're, right. they're there, but uh, we have to know uh, how we recover. And if you get it just from people that only go to secular AA meetings, you're not getting the full. I always say that our meeting is a compliment to your recovery. Uh, yeah. It's not, it isn't your your only base. Yeah, I did that with the gay meetings. I only went to gay meetings. Right. And then when someone would, you know, have attitude or, or do something controversial or whatever, then I was in a tizzy. I didn't have anywhere to share because it's there. <laughs> right. So I don't That's... know. It's, uh, I like I like going to other meetings. Um, and I really, honestly, and this is terrible, but when they talk about God, I kind of treat it like children talking about Santa Claus. You don't want to let them in on the joke uh, right. because – but you don't want to be disrespectful either. You just kind of nod and, oh, okay. But if they say, you know, how do you, do you pray? I No, I don't actually believe any of that stuff. But, and you can always turn it into recovery. So, and it says. And most, most people are really pretty cool too. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I've honestly found there, there's, there, there might be a few hard asses, but um, for the most part, people are pretty tolerant of other people's you know, live and let live type thing, I think. Yeah, that was surprising for me. Uh, some people coming up and, and actually, I mean, very religious people coming up and, you know, sharing coffee with me and not attacking me. <laughs> you know, I thought yeah. they're all going to come out and whatever. But uh, yeah, they've been, and I've had some people come up and say, you know, your conception of your greater power is the same as mine. Uh, I haven't uh -huh. come to terms with, labeling myself with anything but i'm kind of more practical and and like i said it it all of a sudden the program started working uh i, I started really looking at character defects in six and seven i look at uh what is the character defect how do i get entirely ready to get rid of it is i i focus on it i spend like a week and every time i'm like selfish i will chalk up okay that's selfishness and once i recognize it happening then I can do the opposite in seven. Whatever it is, I, usually the opposite is what you do. And yeah. all of a sudden you start improving. It's like, you know, it's any kind of therapy, any kind of, uh, I think why AA works for those who they say work it is because throughout the history of ever, um, people that have made huge changes in the way they think uh, have been successful. Um, and if you are constantly trying to improve yourself and, and if, if being in traffic and getting cut off pisses you off, then you need to get to the point where it doesn't piss you off anymore. And my sponsor said, well, you have to let the jerk that's coming behind you go in front of you instead of mm -hmm. slowing down and trying to teach him a lesson. Uh, right. And once I started doing stuff like that, all of a sudden I'm not angry in traffic anymore. And that's, that's working a program for me. Yeah. So how long ago did you guys start up that group? Uh, I think we'll have three years in March. Okay. Uh, it's, it's been, it's grown. It's, it's, uh, it's breathing like all AA. It's kind of an organism. It, it 
Mm -hmm. you know, it's self-cleaning and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But it's been, uh, we've had challenges, but it's been an amazing uh, thing to, to be a part of. What kind of challenges did you have? Well, uh, at first, uh, like we had a, a group of people that uh, I went out and I found people that I thought would be interested. Anyone that's, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't saying the Lord's Prayer, I would look around and I'd find that person. Uh, and then I would look for those people and then I kind of got them together and they were all excited about it. But then once the meeting started, they kind of all dropped, uh, except for one person, Dan, uh, it because they didn't want it, it turned into an atheism meeting. Uh, you know what yeah. I mean? And it it kind of, the people that were coming were very militant, you know, yeah. this won't work, and I'll tell you why, because of da, da, da. And yeah. uh, we really had to, you know, focus everything on recovery. That that, And we, what we did was, at first, we had like a little disclaimer that we would say, you know, we don't talk about God here. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, our, our higher power, we had this whole reading of how, you know, we don't talk about God or, or that God is different, but mm. that just brings the topic up. So now yep. the only time we even mention it is when we say welcome to our mostly agnostic group of drunks. And at the yep. end, thank you for joining us with our, you know, whatever. That's the only time we mention it. And then all of a sudden it's about recovery. I mean, people yeah. will come in, particularly new people and, and, you know, share about it. And we talk about it you know, right. all the time, but it's not the focus of the meeting. Absolutely. I tell you, man, I think that's a struggle that all of our groups go through at some point. Our group went through it for a little bit, Um, especially when we – what would happen? Okay, we would get these people who were angry with AA, and they would come to our group, and it was such a relief for them to be at our group. But boy, they kept talking about how angry they were about their old home group. Mm -hmm. And God, I mean, it was just you you would wonder when these people would ever get over it. But eventually they did, you know, and then we would have those that um, I mean, that was that was the main topic for those people was the, the God thing. And I guess I can understand it if you're when you're very first starting out with coming to terms with that in your program. I guess you do need to talk about it. But we don't like it for, you know, it's a shame. We wouldn't want that to be what the meeting's all about. Right. I think that they've got it even worse because uh, when you get that pissed off at the God thing, you start getting Mm -hmm. pissed off at people giving you suggestions. And and that's kind of what AA is about. It's, it's, you know, you'll hear the old school AA, shut up and sit down, you don't know nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you've got, you know, all this the, people, they don't like the God thing, but then they don't like the sponsor thing. They don't like having yeah. a sponsor. So they choose not to do that. And then they don't like this whole, you know, at, at night reviewing my day and why should I meditate right. and blah, not, all of a sudden nothing works. And, and the right. only thing that they really have a problem with is the God thing. The rest of it is your ego. The rest yeah. of it is just, I don't want to do this and I'm not going to. Uh, and that's where it gets tripped up. And that's one of the challenges that people have when they come into, you know, not so much anymore, though. You know, I'm thinking about it. At the beginning, we had people that were just adamant. I will not be sponsored by anyone. No one's telling me what to do. Uh, but now that we kind of don't have that, uh, it's kind of like the group conscience is is like, slow down, Kimosa. Yeah. You know, come on. we're We're fine. Just join the group here. So uh, I was happy to see when our group, when people started getting sponsors and sponsee relationships, and that's kind of really flourished in our group now, um, which is nice to see. I, th- I like to see that. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is uh, uh, that 12 step 
uh, carrying the message, when you see someone get that message, uh, yeah, you just there's a the group lives outside of the the meeting time, right? Exactly. So, tell me about um, I, you're the GSR for your group. I'm the GSR for my group. Mm-hmm. How did tell me about how you got involved in in, in service work and in your feelings about that? Um, basically, I've been in, you know in various fellowships and that's one of the things I, I forgot to mention about our group it was it was created by people of different fellowships it wasn't okay. just aa it was and we have a thing uh in the beginning the reason it's an open meeting is because we welcome anyone uh and some of us have problems other than alcohol um mm-hmm. so that people in any kind of recovery can come we we know the rules you know you don't talk about you know you say alcohol right. and all that stuff but uh it's been uh, uh, good. I totally forgot the question now because <laughs> that's okay. But that I'm glad that you brought that up because I saw that on your website that that's how that was kind of how your group started from other fellowships coming together. Yeah. Uh, okay, people from other other groups coming together. But we were gonna we were you were starting on that because we were talking about how you got involved in general service. Oh, yeah, I've been in. I you know one of the things that I did when I was getting sober, uh, the real first time was, uh, uh, when I had three years in Fort Lauderdale at a halfway house called St. Francis, mm-hmm. which had monk music in the hallways, 24 <laughs> hours a day. We had to go to Vespers. We had, it was, oh, yeah. oh my God, it was actually, it was kind of cool, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I've gone to a retreat at a, at a monastery before where you do all of that. I, see, I like watching that stuff. I just think it's fascinating. But yeah. I, 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 one of the things they do, uh, they push you to, and back then it was a cocaine anonymous. It's they push you into service, and it's a great way to get involved. It's not doing anything really for you. Uh, it's it's the last or it's the first part of the twelfth step. But mm-hmm. if you don't work the rest of the steps, boy, service can be a real bitch because uh, every character defect you have will come out in those business meetings. Um, but I, I got involved and I swore I would never do it again because it was uh, – I had all kinds of you know positions and there's controversy and all this kind of stuff. One time we, we argued for 20 minutes about whether the cigarette break should be three minutes or five minutes because the 100 smokers felt discriminated against because it takes longer than three minutes to smoke a 100 cigarette and blah, 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 blah. So Jesus. I was like, never again. But this time coming into recovery, the reason that I do service is to show everyone that an agnostic person can get sober and do service and be a, a qualified member of Alcoholics Anonymous, regardless of what they believe. It's the, the reason I, I push my sponsees into service or anyone in the group to to uh, you know volunteer for things and and uh, you know we got people in the doing mm-hmm. workshops and. It's because we want them to know that we're from Oh My God and that right. we are just a member of AA just like you are. We're not separate. We're just, yep. uh, you know, our clubhouse, your clubhouse. Uh, that's it. And and I totally agree with that. I, I felt the very same way. It's exactly what I did. I, I When we started our group off, and unfortunately I think I'm still feeling that role as GS, uh, GSR and, and central office rep, but I thought it was really important that our group be represented and be a good citizen, a good AA citizen, right. um, and, and be known within the AA community. But also I was listening to people like Joe C., who was really big into service work as an agnostic, and um, I, I really learned a lot from him, and he kept talking about 
because he really cares about Alcoholics Anonymous, and he talks about you know being a good steward of of AA. And the more I thought about that, the the more I I thought, yeah, you know, I I, I owe something to this fellowship, and I do want I do want to I do want to be a good steward and help guide this fellowship as best I can through the changes that will be coming. You know, I totally agree. I think the twelfth step, that service where carrying the message, is not it's not supposed to be. Uh, Fun. My sponsor, or one of my sponsors back in the day, used to say, "If it's if you're having fun, it's not service work." <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but you know, I I, I think uh, one of the things if if I have uh, someone I'm working with and they just hate business meetings, I tell uh-huh. them they need to go to more of them then because I would rather learn how to deal with difficult people and and shrink my ego and and be wrong yeah. in AA meeting instead of a uh, courtroom or board yeah. meeting. I don't want to have to learn about not being right and being okay with it in a, in where my where I work. I want to good. learn that stuff in a place where people are trying to spiritually progress. Uh, good, that, good point. You know, that's where I I get a lot out of uh, business meetings. Boy, I have pissed people off because especially in my group, I wanted it to go this way, and then once the right. group formed. All of a sudden, it's an actual group, and I don't have any power anymore. Exactly. You know, I'm like, that's Wait, exactly. I want to make this. No, can't do that. Yeah, that scared me. We have business meetings at our group quarterly, and I'm glad that we do. I mean, whether we have anything to talk about or not. But I had the same thing because when we first started out, you know, I could decide I could do whatever I wanted to do. And there's just two of us, you know, right. um, and we kind of set it up the way we wanted to set up. But then we started having this business meeting. And, yeah, it's no it's the group. It's their group. It's not my group. And they can decide to do whatever they want to do. And um, I'm just one member of the group. And, and, and that's nice. But it was kind of it was scary to let go and to watch the watch the group just kind of take off on its own like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. Uh... It's it's good for me because I have to let go, and I yeah. have a problem letting go of things, uh, and, and this is great practice. And the, the nice thing about uh, being in recovery is that I can look at why I got upset. Is it because of fear? Is it because I want my way and someone is telling me I can't have it? So once I recognize that and I do six and seven on it, I come out of it not having resentments. I can actually right. see other people's point of view and I can say, you know, this is uh, this is just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So when you when, what was your um, what, what was your perception when you went to your first district meeting? What would you think of all of that? Uh, my first district meeting it was, you know, I was a world delegate for uh, CMA. So anything that's not that psychotic is really mm-hmm. not that big a deal. Uh business meetings are business meetings and it's it's uh i there are a couple people right at the beginning that didn't uh were kind of cold to mm-hmm. me um which you know i i think uh they see the agnostic and they already have right. in their head uh cuz i don't make any you know i just you know i don't believe in god if yeah. you want to put a label on me go ahead uh, but you know they think, and they re- and for them this is completely true, that you right. cannot do recovery without God. So when they see okay. someone doing recovery without God, they either are jealous or they're uh, they start questioning me, like, oh, he must right. really not be sober, or he must be miserable. And when they talk to me and get to know me, and they're like, you know, you're really happy and and kind of, you know, dealing with your life, then they start changing their mind. But right off the bat, you know. First impressions and everything, 
and I got that a little, but now, you know, I'm just a schmuck in the business meeting. I'm not the special dude, you know? Same here. I uh, My experience was kind of unusual. I, I walked into that district, my first district meeting thinking that they were going to immediately not like me. But what happened is people applauded that I was there. They cheered. Um, they hugged me. Um, one person, one lady actually came over and apologized for saying the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> I mean, they were they were just totally accepting of me, and, and, and they've been that way ever since. And I, I'm in the inner city, my group is, and I think the, the one reason they're so accepting of us is because there's a lot, a lot of us are minorities. You know, we have, yeah. we have minority groups in, in our, in our district. And, um, but, but they tell me, my district committee member, he said to me, he says, John, AA is all about being inclusive, never exclusive. And they really believe that there. And so I'm, I'm like just totally happy at those district meetings. And I love pitching in with them and doing whatever I can do. I, I really need to do more. It's a matter of um, finding time to do more for, for them. But I, I enjoy that. Cool. Yeah, it's, an, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience to do service. Yeah. So do you go to the area assemblies? Uh, no. Uh, you don't? <laughs> No, I, uh, I'm a GSR and there are people more qualified to do that because I will get, like, I have a thing with, uh, you know, Robert's rules of order. If people break yeah. Robert's rules of order, I get really upset. I'm like, there is a rule and you have to, this is the way we're supposed to do it. Right. Uh, I, I, I don't, I, I went to that place, you know, in service before and I had uh -huh. to learn a lot of lessons. And one yeah. of those lessons was I don't need to be there. I, I do yeah. what I can. And uh, I, in the, I guess, spirit of rotation, uh, I give other people a chance to fail. <laughs> I, give, I give other people a chance to learn those lessons. And you know what? AA will go on. The, I true. do not need to be the, you know, whatever, the AA police or, or anything like that. And not that I haven't been there before. Uh, right. But now I'm kind of like attraction, you know? Yeah. So I'll go to area assemblies and I... I I mean, when I first went, I said I didn't really quite get what was going on. But after I started learning about how the whole thing works, where the the you know the assembly elects a delegate, the delegate goes to New York, and that I could have direct input with with what my delegate does in New York, that that kind of kind of made sense to me. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on in area assembly that seems like is a kind of a waste of time. <laughs> a lot of a lot of committee meetings about I don't even know what they're talking yeah, about. I've half heard the time. Congress is kind of the same way, so yeah, <laughs> I don't think yeah. we're unique in that. Oh, not at all. So anyway, you guys got something coming up in your district that I thought was kind of interesting. It's about um, uh, etiquette and safety in AA. Yes. You want to talk about that a little bit? Um, sure. I, I, am a, I am on that committee. That committee, I don't have anything to do with it. I'm kind of like setting up and, uh, you know, we do flyers and we kind of organize, you know, who's going to, where the tables are going to go. As far as the content, it's it's uh, up to the facilitator. I know the spirit of it uh, is um, the safety part is some of it's 13 stepping. Uh, you know, when you add 12 and 1 together, you get 13. My right. life is unmanageable, and I like to share it with you. <laughs> That's where 13 <laughs> step comes from. Uh, there's that, but there's also, you know, the lawsuit that happened uh, – in I forget what California I think right. we were talking about, um, where someone got hurt or killed, um, and right. they blamed AA. And AA is not 
a, a hotbed of mental health. You know, right. we are uh, we are sick people trying to get well, but some of us are still sick. And uh, right. you do have to be aware of these things. Nobody likes to talk about it. You know, it's like one of those taboo subjects, but it's absolutely necessary to be aware, especially newcomers that, that yep. will give their phone number to just anyone yep. and, uh, you know, be surprised when they have a visitor at four o'clock in the morning that wants to yep. talk, recover, you know, uh, now I'm, I'm not saying that we, you know, we shouldn't be. Uh, giving our numbers out or, or anything right. like that, but there is an awareness that uh, we need to talk about. And that's one of the topics that's coming up. The etiquette thing is uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, there's like, a, you know, you, you go to the bathroom before you get to the meeting, you, uh, yeah. you know, you, uh, um, you get one turn off your cell phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, part of it is like things like texting. This is one of my yeah. pet peeves. Uh, when you're texting in a meeting, it okay. doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be looking up big book quotes on your phone. It doesn't matter. <laughs> to everyone else that's sharing, you have something more important on your phone than right. what's going on in the meeting. And when I share, and now this is right out of my story, I was in a meeting and I was coming off of uh, another drug, which my synapses were firing in all different kind of crazy ways. And uh, somebody in a meeting uh laughed and they were they were telling a joke uh, they, i was sharing uh -huh. something very personal and and they kind of giggled off in the corner uh about a joke that they had made uh probably nothing to do with me they were just not listening and when they shared i listened and i got right. so upset i stood up and i said i guess what i have to say doesn't fucking matter and i grabbed my <laughs> chair and i threw it at him as hard as i wow. could and then stormed out of the meeting I was, you know, I was coming off of meth, so I was gotcha. crazy, but I really was pissed off because uh, I didn't get that warm welcome when I came to right. AA this time. I got, okay, I don't want to be around that guy. I had the homeless smell. I hadn't, uh, uh, I was living in my Jeep, that whole kind of thing. People didn't come up and, you know, hug me and, yeah. and stuff like that. So when they were doing that, it, they weren't giving a shit. And right. when someone's sitting there in the room and they're on their phone, the only message that that sends is my phone is more important than anything that you're saying. And that yep. can hurt people. It can yeah, also, and you are so right about that. It can mm -hmm. also distract other people from hearing something that might save their life. So I'm, you yep. know, that's the kind of stuff that they're going to talk about. Now, that's my opinion. That doesn't, that's not a rule or anything, but that's. I so agree with you. And it's more important, especially if you've got a new person in the room, we've got to be so, I mean, I read this book, um, Joseph Nowinski, I think it's called, if you, it works, if you work it. And one thing that he said in that book that really made sense to me is for AA to really work for somebody for the, for, for it to more likely to work, the newcomer has to made, be made to feel as if he is on the inside looking out rather than on the outside looking in. And the sooner that that person feels that he is part of the group, that he's accepted, the more likely he's going to be to come back and succeed in his recovery or her recovery. Hmm, that's good. I like that. So, yeah, so, so that's why it's so important to make that newcomer feel welcome. The, the, absolutely. There's a there's a caveat with that, though. I, I remember in one of the groups I was uh, this is a long time ago. I was I was we were voting on whether we should say the serenity prayer or the Lord's prayer at the end of the meeting. And of course, I was like, oh, the 
you know, the Lord's Prayer is so wrapped in Catholicism and, and Christianity, and you don't want to scare people. And as soon as I said, we don't want to scare people, my sponsee sitting across the table from me said, oh, we must, we, we should maybe get rid of that fourth step then, huh? Because that probably scares people. And I was like, okay, I get it. You know, there, there is, uh-huh. this is, you know, we can't coddle people, but we can make it comfortable uh, for right. them, especially coming in new. There's so much power in someone coming up and actually giving a shit. In, yes. You know, in a time when you don't even give a shit about yourself, yes. for someone else to just come and shake your hand and say, I want you to come back tomorrow is a just an amazing feeling. And when you don't it get is. it, and I've been on both sides of this, when you don't yep. get that, that's when judgment comes up. And that's when yep. you start. Uh, there's a great story in the grapevine called The Home Group. I'll send it to you. It's uh, okay. um, It is about a woman who's traveling and goes to an AA meeting and all these people are sharing about how welcoming AA was and, and, and wonderful. But, but she says, I wonder where those people are that made it so comfortable because no one comes up to her. They right. kind of look at her and she, she stands by the bulletin board and kind of stands waiting for someone to, but they don't. And it's, uh, it's, it, she's like, I still stayed sober and I'm, I'm grateful for you. Uh, but just, know that when a newcomer comes in she wasn't new she had uh she had all kinds of sobriety but she's like i could have been a reporter with a camera in my uh reporter in my pocket i could have been uh a newcomer on the brink of suicide and just someone coming up and saying hello would made all the difference so it certainly does that that's I, i think that's what saved my life was i came to aa like we most of us do at a time where you know, my family and I had no friends. My family didn't want anything to do with me. I had all these things, I had problems I didn't want to talk to anybody about. I was feeling lousy about myself. And that was the one damn place where people seemed to understand me and care about me and they let me know it. Yep. And if they don't, go to another meeting because yep. your people are out there. <laughs> they may not be in yep. that meeting, but there are people just like me in other meetings. And some of that time you have to find those people. Yep. So yeah, that's that's uh, I I'm really interested. Now, you were is this the this thing that you're doing in District 11 for the for this particular thing? Is this what you were talking about about maybe putting online or was that something else? No, uh that was something else. That um one of the things we want to uh our group particularly uh wants to do is to bring technology to recovery. Um mm-hmm. there's a uh you know, some people have technophobia and I understand that. Uh, but there are so many tools. I There are people that come to our group only because of our website, only mm-hmm. because they found our website. Uh, there's people, we have an online meeting uh, at intherooms.com. That's mm-hmm. an agnostic AA meeting. And we have people mm-hmm. from all over the world that come to that meeting and say that this is, uh, they feel it's their home, that there is the one place that they can share and, and not have to worry about, uh, people knowing them. Uh, you know, you can, you can even put a a thing over your camera, like a sticky note and just have your voice. Uh, the technology is there. If you're traveling and you need a meeting and you have an internet connection, you can go to intherooms.com and, and have a meeting. And we wanted right. to have an agnostic presence there. 
uh, which that had a lot of challenge, I'll tell you. <laughs> but uh, I remember when you guys were doing that. Oh, well, what we want to do is uh, the District 11 thing is we want to have a, a thing on uh, technology. And part of it is um, the, our DCM, our, our DCM uh, Vivian, she wants to reach the parts of AA that are unreachable. The people that don't come to assembly, they're out in the boonies. They're still mm-hmm. AA groups. Uh, but they they're separated from us, and what we're trying to do with this workshop is have everybody log on and see that uh, there is great value in online meetings and uh, mm-hmm. using technology to uh, enhance your recovery. Our website is off the chain. Uh, we get I, I think our last hit was like four hundred hits a day. Wow. Uh, just people searching for atheist AA or agnostic AA, uh, ours comes up. And uh, yep. it's it's amazing when you get a message from the internet saying, uh, you know, my husband's drinking and doesn't believe in God and he won't go to AA. How can we help? Or, or mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff is amazing. And talking about our website, we uh, – we, our website has everything on it. We have, if you want yeah. to start an agnostic meeting, you can do it there. In fact, uh, we've copied our website for a, a, a group in Texas uh-huh. just to create a website for them. Uh, we don't mind yep. if you steal our stuff. We have all our scripts online, all our flyers, all that, uh, our topic sticks that we use, all of that stuff is online. And I encourage people to use that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, I've seen all of that too. Um, and if your your site was one of the first that I saw when I was first exploring about agnostic AA, and I remember those topic sticks. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, if we if we're scrounging for a topic, we have a basket of about two hundred little topics on them, uh, and somehow we always keep pulling out the same ones. But uh, uh, yeah, that it's those little things are are quirks of groups. Um, uh-huh. And we that's one of the things we wanted or I wanted for our group is to be a part of AA but do things just a little differently. Um, and and some of it worked and some of it didn't, but some of the uh, the quirks that we have uh, keep people coming back. Yeah. Um, that's and you've really so you've kind of incorporated the in the rooms meeting with your with your group. Well, we consider it our second group. Um, mm-hmm. We. Uh, We've because we don't have an online meeting doesn't have a district. What mm-hmm. we do is we ten uh, percent of the uh, proceeds go to AA. The rest of it goes to in the rooms, and it's really piddly. And in fact, they said we're not making money off of the um, right. off of the meetings. It's it's uh, so whatever whatever people donate, uh, it goes to ten um, percent goes to World Services. But as far as the district goes, we are they are represented. Uh, through District 11 in yeah. Florida, so that's kind of how. And we... did you know there's actually talk? I think up in the General Service Conference, and I don't know if it's going to be at this coming conference, but I, I've, I remember reading somewhere they're talking about or thinking about anyway creating special districts for online meetings. They should. They really they should. should. And you know what? They have all the personalities of a regular meeting. Uh, mm-hmm. You you get to know people. Uh, you want to hear them. You want to check up on them. Uh, it's and people are like, oh, you know, you don't want to replace uh, face-to-face meetings. And they say all the time, do not – this is a compliment to your recovery. Right. It is not your recovery. You have to go to face-to-face meetings. But to be able to sit in your underwear in a meeting mm-hmm. and 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 be 
a part of a group. There's there's one uh, woman that called us from Cairo because it was the only English speaking meeting she could get to. Uh, yeah. We have people at all hours or uh, all over the world coming to that meeting. And they don't have to drive anywhere. Yeah. You know, so it's a it's something that uh, we want to, you know, grow. Yep. I like that. And I, I see a lot of um, opportunity for, for the internet, even just for us to kind of come together as a community and organize. I kind of have a dream of a kind of a database of GS agnostic AAGSRs that we can um, <laughs> email and, and, and have them vote a certain way right. <laughs> for something that we want to do at, a, at, a, at the general service conference, that type of thing. Right. But don't, I think AA kind of frowns at that type of political organizing. Right, exactly. But... <laughs> uh, you might, don't want to open that can of worms because you might not get <laughs> what you want. It's kind of nice yeah. to, you know, just kind of make things up as, as they go. Uh, yeah. If we had to have everybody's input all over the world <laughs> over our meeting, I think we'd drive each other and, you know, it's kind of also, you know, because just because we have a lot in common um, with being agnostic, atheist, whatever, and all that kind of stuff, there's we don't always get along with with we don't always agree on everything in our in our little community anyway. So, yeah, think <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. we're we're people and we have people problems, yeah. too. Yeah, I get it. Uh, yeah. Well, like I said, uh, we are uh, we're very much I am very much into uh, carrying the message uh, because the stuff that I got, the, the stuff I took from people, some of it I can't give back. And and one of the best things in my recovery is I've never forgotten what AA has done for me. The the person, you know, there's a, um, and I was just talking about this in a morning meeting I went to. Uh, there's a phrase in AA that everybody hates. They say, my my worst day sober is better than my best day drunk. And for right. a long time, I was like, nah, you know, I had some really good times or, or you know, whatever. Uh, but I think the meaning of that is I am a completely different person. My thoughts are different. My actions are different. Everything about me is different. And the person that I was had to have alcohol in order to have a, a good time. Uh, no matter what was going on, that same scared, depressed, horrifically tortured child or person is was in that body having the best time or whatever but i was still in it and i was miserable and alone and afraid and now i'm not so i will take being this person on a crappy day way over being that person on a fantastic day and and that yeah. is what aa gave me it's not sobriety uh everybody stops drinking the same way they put the plug in the jug and they don't take right. a drink but the steps and the support that I've gotten and the the real I, I hate to use this phrase, but the plan for living that that AA uh, can give you if you know how to work it is beyond any kind of I, I couldn't pay enough money to be the person I am now. Uh, I, I go through things in sobriety that would are, are perfect reasons to to drink. And mm -hmm. I get, I don't only get through them, but sometimes I even enjoy them. Yeah. That's, that's what sobriety has given to me. And I have to continue to, to give it back. I know that's corny, yeah. but it, it, I, no, it's not at all. I feel the same way. I, I don't think it's corny at all. I think that I, I love your passion for the program. Um, uh, that that's, that's heartening. I like it mm -hmm. and I agree with it.
it drives my sponsees crazy because I make them do things. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, my sponsor, his favorite phrase is, I don't know shit about shit. Uh, and I picked him as a sponsor because of that, because I think I know all the answers. And he seems to have a wonderful life and doesn't know any of the answers. So I take my cues from him. Yep. So to kind of wrap it up, do you, are you planning on going out to Austin in uh, 2016? I'm going to try. I, I yeah. missed the first one. And, of course, I was born in Santa Monica. I've never oh, really? been back to California <laughs> since I was four. So uh, I missed the, the first one. I just I would kick myself, but I couldn't make it. This time I'm going to hopefully plan uh, to be there. I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, uh, Santa Monica is absolutely beautiful, by the way. I, I've never been to Southern California until I went um, on that, that convention. And I, I understand why people like Southern California. Hey, rub it in. Beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it'd be fun to see you out there in Austin. I, I'm going to try to make it, too. For me, it's not a bad drive. I can. I think it's like maybe a 10-hour drive or something from Kansas City. So I want to see the, the people we helped uh, with that website. I want to meet this. Yeah. We were, we're doing all that stuff. It was San Antonio is where they're. Yep where they're from and and they were just the guy that I was doing it with was such a good experience and to see that that all grow is just a a neat thing. Yeah. Oh, our uh, our I should mention our web address is omagod.org. Or yep. our yeah. mostly agnostic group of drunks.com. Both of them work. Yep, it's a it's a great website, and you and you're absolutely right. It's got a lot of good information on there. We'll have a link to that when we um, um, put the podcast out there. Awesome. So, this is a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Mikey. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, you have a good rest of the day. You too. Well, that's another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. We'll be talking to you very soon, and until then. Be well.